All right. If you'll turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Luke, chapter 22. I'm going to have to listen to the podcast today to see later on how this sounds with this voice. I may have to try to breathe a corn chip every week. I don't know if it might go well. Luke, chapter 22. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. And as a corollary passage, the historical passage behind the passage of 1 Corinthians 11 that we'll be studying later this morning. And as you can see, we'll be serving communion this morning as well in conjunction with the morning message. Luke chapter 22, beginning verse 7, I'll bring out the New King James Version. God's Word says, Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And... He sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large furnished upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. Then he said to them, With fervent desire of desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until this fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goes as it, as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. Well, this morning we continue our study in 1 Corinthians and we are going to, for the second time now in the book, address our Lord's table. It has been our custom to have our Lord's table every business meeting. Um, and then on occasions that demand it, and we often have it in the celebration of our Lord's birth, in the celebration of our Lord's resurrection, Uh, and then on occasions when we know that there may be uh, a uh, period of time where we will not see some of our own and we try to have it with them to uh, send them on their way or to receive someone who we have not seen for some time. This morning it is because of the nature of the text before us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As it was several weeks ago as we studied in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I'm sorry, not chapter 7, chapter 10, the cup of blessing and the bread that we break, and is this not the communion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? In chapter 10, verse 16 and following. And there we discuss the distinction between the necessity of singular service of our Lord. That is that there cannot be a plurality of worship when it comes to God. We worship Him and Him alone, or we cannot claim to be worshiping Him at all. He does not accept divided worship. This was true in Israel. 
and it is true today. And so he discusses there in chapter 10, 16-22, that we provoke the Lord to jealousy whenever we think that we can participate in the worship of our Lord all the same while participating in the worship of demons. And I say, well, we don't really worship demons, Pastor, but any idol God addresses as demonic. Whether it be something that your hands have prepared and call an idol and put on a shelf, or something your heart has prepared and has put on a shelf in your life that you bow down to. And so we are told that even though idols really aren't anything, they divert us from true worship of God. We come now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and we are going to take it up directly where Paul, having introduced it in chapter 10, is now ready to address the Corinthian mode of performing the Lord's table and the error that was evident there, not only in the attitude of their heart that he talked about in chapter 10, but in the mode, the manner in which they actually conducted it together. As we get into our text before us here in chapter 11, let's go, Lord, in prayer together. Lord God, we do thank you for your word, for its clear instruction, and it is our desire to, do, to hold to the traditions that are described in your word, not the traditions of men, but of God. And we help. We pray for your help this morning to guide us into that truth, that we might conform ourselves to it. And Lord, where that is lacking, that you might make it evident to us in your word. We do pray that uh, this time might exalt your Savior, Jesus Christ. My guard this time from error, from the opinion of men, from the philosophies of this world your spirit might truly communicate your truth for us with all of its authority to strengthen, build up, and encourage your body. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we looked at what was going on in the Corinthian church and the necessity for division to occur wherever there's error that when error is being introduced in the church, there ought to be some divisiveness because there ought to be some opposition to that error as it is being introduced, no matter where that introduction is occurring, whether from the pastoral level, the deaconate, or from the lay level, wherever it is coming into the church, it must be addressed. And that, of course, is going to bring some divisions. But this is all in the midst of really what Paul's concerned about is that why did that occur? Uh, it occurred and that kind of error creeps into the church or is pounded into the church. Uh, usually it creeps in, but sometimes it just flashes into the church um, through a charismatic individual, usually in a pulpit, um, but it could be from any source. And it, and it comes in because of the circumstance that Paul has been addressing all along. That when we are wanting to take on knowledge without maturity, without recognizing the purpose of knowledge, which is edifying the body through the love of God, that it lifts 
us up. And whenever we start exalting ourselves, um, there is someone else who is more important than you that is being diminished. And that person is Jesus Christ. That when you are lifted up, you are seeking to supplant Christ in your life and in the church. And so the idea that knowledge puffs up but love edifies is still there in Paul's thinking. It is that theme that he has pressed now into their worship patterns. Um, he addressed the, the men and ladies in their attire and their presentation of themselves physically um, to be a reflection of what's going on in the heart. And it should matter in our worship services. Um, but we find now that uh, the Corinthians because they were puffed up, weren't responsive to the division that was needed to ferret out error. Rather, they were just staking claim to their position, saying, I am a Paul, I am a Peter, I am a Paulus, I am of Jesus. And taking an arrogant stand, and for that reason, the division wasn't productive. And it showed forth in this aspect of their worship that there was a total self-centeredness in their coming to the Lord's table. They had combined it with a love feast, which we talked about last week, uh, which is common and that we have lost track of uh, largely, that this table isn't isolated. It was in the context of a Passover meal. And uh, our brethren friends still conduct this table in that fashion, uh, and others as well, that uh, carry forth that idea of a, a whole meal that is full of symbolage, and within the context of that full meal is this table, the, the, the peak, the pinnacle of that uh, symbolage. And so the Passover meal, of course, we recognize the symbols that are there. Uh, in modern times, we talk about the Seder, um, which isn't really the... which it has some roots in the Passover meal, but it is not the true Passover meal. Uh, there are a lot of other things that have been introduced in the Seder, over the centuries, but we come to this uh, really in an isolated setting largely because of the Corinthians' abuse of it. The reason we have disjointed this from a full meal is because of this passage of Scripture where we have basically thrown out the baby uh, to protect the bathwater. Um, the problem wasn't the meal. The problem was the arrogance by which people came in only interested in serving themselves. And so they would come in with their bountiful plate of food and they would sit down and say, well, my food is hot. I'm going to start eating and we're not going to wait for the rest of the saints to arrive to participate in that. And the indication is not only that they were eating their own food in an isolated setting or by themselves or with their clique of people, um, that were of like mind to them, but they were also participating in this table as part of the meal in an isolated fashion. That is, they never even got to the elements of the Lord's table with all the saints. And it, and it damaged the very symbolage of this table, that is, that we are one in Jesus Christ. And so we celebrate in largely an isolated fashion because we are reacting to this to say we don't want to possibly uh, violate this. But the fact is, is that when we do have a meal as a church family, um, we do uh, largely try to uh, 
adopt these principles that are we wait till everyone comes, we all share our food with one another, we call it a carry-in dinner. Um, the olden days used to call it a potluck, um, which I'm not sure why Christians ever coined that phrase, but somehow we did. Um, and I remember going to a hobo dinner is what we always called it. You ever been to a hobo dinner? Um, there's just a big giant pot and you just bring your cans of vegetable or meat and dump it in the pot and you serve it up. And it's kind of interesting if you uh, wait for everyone to come before you serve it. Um, it it uh, has a unique flavor uh, depending upon what's dumped in there. Hopefully everything dumped in there is edible. It usually is. I've never, I'm still here, so apparently it was. Um, but the whole idea here is I assume that's where potluck came from, is that concept. We just throw it into one pot and trust to luck that it's going to nourish us. But we don't believe in that, of course. And so we have a carry-in dinner. We do wait for everyone largely to arrive, uh, except for maybe a few of the Zunis and Brummets. But, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to throw that in there. I don't know. Um, I think all of us have been late to one one time or another. Uh, and we seek to eat that. But what we have done is we have separated those love feasts that we have together, those carrion dinners, from this table. And that really is too bad. It's not how the church did it. Um, in the early church, they would have combined those two and seen them as a single opportunity that I recognize that while I consume this physical food, I am in my heart considering the spiritual food that we consume in Christ Jesus. And it is a great uh, conjoining of the notion that we do not operate in the flesh over here and then the spirit over here. That they are one for the believer. That what you do in your flesh matters to your spirit. That your spirit has to affect your flesh. That these things must be associated in our thinking and in our actions. And so today, uh, you're all invited to my house. We're going to eat, and then we're going to have communion. We didn't fix enough, did we? No. But we are going to celebrate the Lord's table, but I don't want to just uh, not reference this fact that it should be in the context, really, of a physical meal that we understand that the same one who gives us spiritual food is also the author of our meals, of our physical food, that he cares for that. But the Corinthians... Like they had disrupted so much within the body of saints, within their worship, as well as within their practice in the community, um, they had largely destroyed this to the point that Paul has to say multiple times, I do not praise you. He says in verse 17, we see it concluding there in verse 22. Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Um, he is going to give them an intermediate section which is going to give the historical roots of the Lord's table, uh, how they should be doing it together. In verses 23 through 26, we're going to get to that in just a moment. I want to jump ahead now into this latter portion of Scripture, verse 27, because this I think we need to address somewhat. Um, and I have been addressing it myself for several weeks um, in the, how we have been presenting this or maybe misrepresenting this passage. Uh, verse 27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That is a very powerful statement. 
that we will need to talk about a little bit. Then verse 28, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. And so we see the last two verses of this passage, verse 33 and 34, we handled last week as the conclusion of this whole idea of your physical needs. That if you come to to the love feast, uh, the community meal, um, with a ravenous appetite that you can't wait for everyone to get there. You have to eat something. Well, take care of that at home before you come so you don't come with a ravenous appetite that you have to eat something before everyone gets there. For the whole object of this is that we demonstrate our love for one another and how can it be loving that you're only really interested in your stomach? So we talked about that last week and we really finished up verse 33 and 34. But it's these this few verses in between that we really want to discuss and I want to discuss this morning. And that picks up in verse 27 that we have this admonition, this warning. You know, if you eat in an unworthy manner, this table, and it's repeated again, not only in 27 but in 29, that you are going to be found guilty before God. You will fall under His judgment. What does this mean to eat in an unworthy manner? Certainly none of us want to do that because none of us want to be found guilty of eating in this manner, of coming under the Lord's judgment, to be found guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And that is that we are almost to the point of crucifying Him again. That we are of that nature of man. That we are not appreciative or understanding of the principle and of the spiritual reality of Christ in us. And so we want to be forewarned, what does it mean to be unworthy of this? And what is the, what should be the result? What, what are, what, what is our reaction to it? And historically, this is what we have stated, that if you are here and unprepared to partake of this table, let it pass. Let it pass has been our statement. Um, but you will not find that in this passage, do you? Rather, we are given this instruction, examine yourself. And I see two things here in the passage before us that we need to be careful in adhering to. The first one is the great importance that Paul plays upon participating in this table if you are a believer. It is one should be the highlight of your Christian life. It is to participate in the Lord's table. It is something that we look forward to and anticipate. It is something that is meaningful to our Christian walk. It is an opportunity to very vividly remember our Lord's sacrifice. Now, some have gone 
maybe too far, well, certainly too far, where these become the means of grace, that participating in this bread and this cup becomes the means of grace. The means simply means the way, the avenue, the road to receiving God's grace. That it's the channel, that God's going to channel His grace to forgive you through this cracker and this drink. And they have it backwards. Okay? This is not the channel for us to receive God's grace God's grace is the channel by which we participate in this table. Do you see the reverse? Because God's grace has been at work in me through Jesus Christ, His sacrifice 2,000 years, I am able to come to this table. I am qualified because I have received the grace of God that has cleansed me of my sin and now I can come to this as a worthy participant. Not on my righteousness, but based upon the righteousness of Christ imputed to me. That word imputation uh, means to be counted toward. And so I come here to this table via the means of God's grace, not the other. I don't come to this table hoping that by taking this, God will be pleased with me and therefore I'll receive from Him His grace. And so Paul says you're going to come to this table not unworthy and then partake of it and become worthy afterwards. No, it's the other way around. You need to come to this table worthy. Because it's that precious. We are not minimizing this by simply saying that this, uh, because we don't believe in trans or consubstantiation, we are not minimizing this because we're saying that you have to have grace to come to this table. We are saying that you must come to this table in a worthy manner. And that begins, of course, with the right relationship with, with our God through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That we've received the grace of His shed blood, of, of His broken, open body. That we receive the benefit of that by faith trusting in that and that alone to forgive us of our sins and to establish a right standing before God. That makes us worthy. But there is an additional requirement here for Paul is talking to Christians. He says, listen, as believers you are worthy in Christ, but be careful because even as one in Christ, you may still have come to this table in an unworthy manner. So it is not a matter that I am unworthy, but the manner in which I come to this is unworthy. That is, that my manner must go alongside of my standing. That is, I have a standing before God in Christ Jesus. And so I am a forgiven person. I'm a saint, a holy one of God. Not by my own merit, but by the merit of Christ's uh, sinless life and sacrifice and resurrection, uh, His presence in heaven today as my mediator. And so I have that standing before God, but it is my manner of life that must be in conformity with that standard. With that standing, I'm sorry. I have the standing. I have, I'm a child of God. Well, live like it. And the Corinthians weren't doing that. They weren't living as... Individuals who are followers of Jesus Christ. They were coming to the table as individuals who are only self-interested. And there's nothing self-interested in the work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. He gained 
nothing from it. The idea that Jesus needs you in His kingdom is foolishness. He only participated in that activity of sacrifice because of your great need, not because He had any needs at all. He didn't need your fellowship. He doesn't need your worship. Um, He'll get it one way or the other. And yes, people in eternal judgment are worshiping God. Every knee will bow. He didn't need to save you to get your worship. Now, we can come into His family by that sacrificial act. And so, having been recipients of that, we are called to be like Him, which means I'm going to surrender myself and subordinate myself to that work of Christ. uh, And and I'm going to say, I want to emulate it, which means that I'm going to come to this table not interested in my experience here, but interested rather in lifting high Jesus Christ of edifying, building up, strengthening those around me that this is what my primary concern is, that this is a statement of my heart's love for my Savior. This is about giving, not getting. And shame on those people who have made this about getting God's grace when it's about giving in response to having already received God's grace. We have an opportunity to remember Him and to give our worship, to give our, our honor to Him. And if we are here only seeking ourselves, we do injury to this table, serious injury, to the point that Paul says, you're under the direct judgment of God. God is going to make you sick. God does that. I think that's pretty much what he said, is that for this reason, verse 30, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep, which is a reference to passing into eternity of death for the Christian. And so um, there were ramifications of coming to this table in the manner, because they weren't coming in the manner that it was in agreement with their standing that they claimed before God. So here's our standing in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of God, forgiven, a saint, a holy one. And now yet here in my manner, I am serving only myself. And that inconsistency is inappropriate at this table. And our response to you is, if that inconsistency is there, um, let this, these elements pass. And I want to share with you, I think that was error. If that inconsistency is there, here's what the instruction from God's Word is. Examine yourself. Do a personal assessment now. And rectify the situation now. Examine yourself. Why? Why am I here only interested in myself? Why is this pride and and arrogance welled up in my being? Why am I so puffed up in what I think is knowledge of God and of His Word? and, And why am I not lovingly edifying His people? Why am I only interested in what I'm going to get out of this experience? And a lot of 
churches today try to make this an experience and and there's an experiential aspect to this there's no doubt about that and we can dim the lights and play quiet music and and make it an experience but that's ultimately not what it's about it's about you having this feeling inside of you it's about your worship of your savior it's about remembering and that's not experiential that's intellectual it's about remembering my salvation came at tremendous cost and having been the unworthy recipient of that price how could i not come to this table in an arrogant fashion examine yourself is the biblical response to being unprepared if I've come here with sin in my heart and arrogant rebellion, the response isn't to just let this pass and just say, oh, I just didn't participate in it. No, the response is take care of it. Now, here, now. Examine yourself. So that you can eat of the bread and drink of the cubs. You see it in verse 28? It's not... Examine yourself, and if you're not worthy, let the thing pass. No, it says, let him examine himself, and so let him eat. Isn't that great? You don't have to go out there and live a a few more months uh, rightly to be able to come to this table right today. Just like you didn't have to go out there and perform a bunch of activity, whether religious or otherwise, to earn your salvation, did you? Did you have to do that? I mean, do you have to go out there and, well, I've got to make sure I buy uh, a suit. Uh, I have to get my hair cut a certain length. I have to um, get sober. I have to get um, this out of my life and that out of my life. Then maybe I can get saved. Is that how it works? There are some that give you the indication that's what they think. Is it, well, I have to go out and get baptized and I have to figure out how to fit giving into my budget and I have to um, uh, go to confession, whatever. I mean, the, the, the religious oblig- obligatory list just keeps going on and on and on. I mean, it can, I mean, it, it can never end. It, to earn my right to come to God and be saved? No. We come to salvation the way we come to this table in humility making a confession. That confession is, I am wholly unworthy. And I am helpless. I cannot help myself. I need your help. I don't expect you to let this thing pass because what you're saying by doing so is, I am stubbornly going to cling to my selfishness. And I don't want to ever encourage any of you to selfishly cling to your sin. And I am fearful that our instructions in the past with regard to this table encourages just such action on your part. And I apologize to you as your pastor to have encouraged you in that. Because the Bible says, so let them take it, having examined themselves. And we of all people should be responsive to this kind of instruction from God's word. This is, listen, it's time for me to be a judge over me. Now, Paul is bringing out a theme that he's used throughout Corinthians. Judge for yourselves, judge for yourselves, judge for yourselves. 
Well, now he's saying, judge yourself. He's taking that same kind of theme. Can't you, can't you rightly discern this? All right, now you've discerned this with regard to this aspect about marriage and singleness. You've made some, uh, we we're trying to make some discernment issues, judge for yourselves about uh, the area of appearance of men and women and their worship and in public and things like that. We're, we're trying to get you to judge for yourselves. Judge for yourselves. Discern for yourselves uh, God's truth. How should things be done? And we're going to do that again with regard to um, other aspects of worship and the exercise of spiritual gifts and in giving and things like that they are going to come up in Corinthians. But this judge for yourselves, now Paul is going to turn it and say, okay, you can be discerning about this truth over there. You can be discerning about that truth over there. Can you be discerning about the truth of who you are? Judge yourself. Look into your heart and examine it. And don't Walk out of here not partaking of this because you're stubbornly clinging to it. Oh no, for a Christian to examine his heart, what does he have to do to make it right so he can eat? You have to confess. Repent. And that is not a work that you have to go out there and do before you can come back here and do this. No, it's not a work at all. That's why it's part of salvation and it's not by works because confession and repentance in God's word is not a work you do to earn anything it is a response you make to conviction of the Holy Spirit Lord this is what's been in my heart and it's wrong please forgive me you see when a Christian examines himself the next result should be confession, repentance. For we have already surrendered in our standing to God. We've already humbled ourselves to maintain that and to revisit that should be a daily event of my life. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I did it again. And it sickens me. I can imagine what it does to you. And, and Lord, I want to turn from it. And I'm turning from it now before you in honesty. And, and Lord, help me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Lord, help me. But I hate my sin. Cleanse me of it. And I'm pretty sure 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and He is just and will forgive us our sins. Not between now and the next time we take communion. He'll do it now. Because it's not based upon your activity, but your confession. It's based upon the activity that we are celebrating right here. It's the work of Christ. And if you're trusting in your do-goodness to come to this table, then I have to wonder, are you trusting your do-goodness to come to salvation? Of course not. Then why do you come to this table thinking the same thing? No, rather, that I come to Him even now, examining myself, and I confess my sin to Him, and I beg His forgiveness, and I, and I tear out of my heart and out of my mind any plan to commit that sin again, but rather I want to make a plan to do righteously and justly. 
And when I've examined myself and judged myself, let him eat. That's what the Bible says. Now, here's the other half of why I want you to eat this whether you're ready or not. The Bible says if you don't judge yourself, if you're just going to sit there and stubbornly cling to your sin, you eat this table in an unworthy manner. Go ahead. I want you to. Why? Pastor, why? You want God to judge me? Yes, I do. Why? Because I'm a parent. Every parent here has got to have some inkling of what I'm talking about, right? We ultimately don't want our children to do wrong, but when they do do wrong, we want them to get caught. Do you not? Why? We want to break them of the sin. We want to break them of that disobedience. We want to lay it on them so heavy, the punishment so severe, that they, the next time it crosses their mind to enter into that realm of action, they're going to say, whoa, wait a minute, I got caught last time and it hurt bad. I'm not going to do that no more. I spent six months in my room last time. I did that. not doing that again. I wasn't. I didn't have an electronic thing in my hand for two years. Yes, parents, I would be willing to go that long with your teens to break them of horrific things that are going on on the Internet. I say, Pastor, that's your preference. No, this is what God's Word says. Verse 32, when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. And this is the other half of the error of what I've been instructing you all these years. I've been trying to help you avoid getting caught. You know what I think of people who help my kids avoid getting caught by me? When they've done evil. They're not my friends. and They're not the friends of my family. They're not even the friends of my kids. Because they're encouraging them to continue in evil. And I'm staying before you confessing that fact. Whenever I've told you, let these elements pass. I'm going to tell you, everyone in this room needs to partake of this table if you claim to be a child of God. And if you are here in an unworthy manner and willing to judge yourself, then you should, you ought to come under the judgment of God today to chasten you. Why? Because without punishment, without the chastening, without that loving discipline in your life, what is the result? The result, frighteningly, is that we get condemned with the world. Do you read what that says? That if we are not experiencing the judgment of God when we are in sin, when we are in this mode of of arrogantly being puffed up in our knowledge of the Bible, but caring less about edifying the saints, that we are in that condition when we are self-oriented and we are self-absorbed, that we come to this table saying, Oh God, when am I going to get out of it? Um, that I can come here in this unworthy manner, in consistent living with my profession of faith, that if I am not judged for that because I let this thing sneak by me because I don't want to rectify it, 
You either are chastened by the Lord today with physical weakness and even physical death. Or my understanding of that passage is you're going to take your place under the condemnation of the world. And that's eternal death. You say, Pastor, that's not consistent with your position on eternal security. Um, That's only because you don't know my position on eternal security (laughs) very well. Why is it that we are always willing to accept from God's hand as an act of love, His provision? But we are so reticent to accept from God's hand as an act of love, His discipline. Truly, whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son. If you can partake of this table in an unworthy manner and nothing happened to you, then you are already condemned with the world. But if you're a Christian partaking of this table in an unworthy manner, um, you, we want you to be judged by God. Because we don't want the alternative. The best that we hope is that you'll examine yourself, judge yourself, so that you shouldn't have to be judged by God because you're already saying, oh God, man, this has been a bad week. Use your name in vain. I live for myself. Whatever. I don't know what it is. Oh, that we would judge ourselves so that we wouldn't be judged by God. And this isn't judging, being judged by others. I'm not here to judge you. God knows your hearts. He knows where you've been, what you've been up to all week or all year. Or he knows what your intent is this afternoon. Examine yourself. Judge yourself today so you can eat at this table without the judgment of God on you. If you're unwilling to do that, eat at this table so the judgment of God can bring you into conformity with your position, your standing. So you'll not ever hear me again say, let these elements pass. Our expectation is that every one of you will participate in this table today. If you're here not a believer, you're just getting a light snack. There's no condemnation on you because you're already condemned by your own sin, not by, partic- not by eating this stuff. If you're here and you're a Christian and not walking with the Lord, you should eat at this table to provoke the Lord to chasten you, to do whatever it takes to get you out of that sin and let Him intervene. But the best is that you will judge yourself. So the Lord doesn't have to judge you. You can partake of this table as a joyous occasion, solemnly, and we don't think those two go together, but they do, to solemnly remember what our Lord has done for us. What a powerful passage of Scripture that I have not applied well. This morning we want to apply it properly. We're going to distribute a little unleavened cracker that represents the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
He came in the flesh that He might redeem us who are trapped in the flesh of sin. He shed His blood and the Bible repeatedly calls it the new covenant. That it is every covenant of God with man is established by the shedding of blood. This is the eternal covenant, the last covenant, the final complete covenant for the blood that was shed was sinless, perfect, divine. This we'll celebrate. We're going to do distribute. We ask that you all wait till everyone's been served. We'll consume it together as a picture of the oneness that we have in Christ, whether you realize it or not, whether your mannerisms play it out or not, that we might recognize this. This is not Desert Hills Baptist Church's table. This is not the Baptist denomination's table. This is Christ's. If you're here called by Christ's name, you ought to partake of this, having judged yourself. And though you have not, you should partake of it with an expectation of God's chastening to help you get victory over your sin, lest you be condemned with the world in eternal judgment. Let's pray.